0: All right, so today's episode is with Steve Robinson. Steve, you want to introduce
1: yourself? Yeah, certainly. Uh, I'm Steve Robinson. Uh, I do a range of different things. I uh, run Ruby now, which is one of the oldest uh, Ruby on Rails and Ruby jobs boards. Uh, My history background is I come from the UK, although my accent's a little mangled at this point, having lived probably 16 years in the US. I did a PhD in... Autonomous mobile robot control and came to do a postdoc at Yale in control systems and Since then I got more into entrepreneurial activities, building up a software development agency, and also working with companies to find them developers because similarly to myself, it was very difficult and uh, worked out you know where uh, to help both my friends as developers and also my friends who have companies that are looking for developers uh, bridge that gap. And um, so now I do a mix of things. So uh, obviously Ruby now uh, working to help connect people to good opportunities. Also do development myself from actively building out that infrastructure and building out the infrastructure for other uh, tech boards. And I think the focus Moving forward is really to work out how to develop careers and how <clears throat> how to help people work out in technology specifically uh, how how to get the most out of what what they do and uh, what they explore what their opportunities are and try and try and discuss all of the interesting nuances in that space and how it intersects with uh, technology. Oh, and so, to keep to keep myself happy, I do a little research in uh, in in uh, control systems and brain decision systems still at yale uh, so that's sort of part time as well so so one, that's the of mix. The, one of the things that I
0: like about having you on today is that you represent a bit of a um a contrast in that you 've got Uh, a PhD and you went to Yale and you also are pretty heavily involved in a career that many people in the uh, programming community look down on, which is recruiting. So I wanted to like explore this, figure out, you know, why is it that recruiting has such a bad rep? Like which parts deserved, which part isn't? Because I think your background would make you someone that people would believe is pretty reputable. And, you know, probably you probably have exposure to the good and the bad of, uh, uh of recruiting. Are you up for doing that?
1: Absolutely.
0: <clears throat> All right. So let's start with sort of the basic premise, which is like a, a standard trope on Twitter would, is someone posting an awful email that they got from a recruiter that day with the, you know, the punchline being, uh, oh, recruiters, idiots. What's up with that? Why why is this such a common thing both the the bad emails and the jokes about the bad emails
1: I think um so I think I think on one side there's the typical way that people have uh, found connected people with opportunities and what the bar is for people to get into doing that as a profession and you know the ability for those people to connect into the workflow that we developers uh, are using all the time, and these are these are sort of factors that go together. So, so you know, typically the uh, a recruiter or somebody who has doesn't really have any knowledge necessarily about that particular uh, profession that they're trying to connect up with. It can be the case, and they're just trying to grab some information from a candidate. Pull them to a company and try and see if the company is interested and go backwards and forwards and sort of try and get over that energy gap, <clears throat> but the problem is in in the with with as developers we 're hyper connected using email as often a to do list it 's almost like a direct connection into your brain um, and uh, I think what 's happened is basically. We've inadvertently set ourselves up to be able to be connected with a lot of people simultaneously attacking us with information, uh, just sniffing us out to see if we would be somebody who might be interested in opportunity with a whole range of companies that, frankly, we would have no interest in whatsoever. Does that make any sense? Yeah. So let me repeat a couple of things, I think, that I heard. So
0: one is the recruiting has a low barrier to entry, and therefore, you're going to get people that don't necessarily have a lot of domain knowledge or skill that are interested in making connections that they could tax with their fee. And that given that people are on email, it makes it easy for those people to at least lob in attempts to connect with you. And if we weren't so connected, then... Those attempts wouldn't ever get to us, so we wouldn't even notice. And but but we are, so it, it it's easy for them to sort of intrude on our workflow. Is that is that what you said basically?
1: Yeah, I think so. And also the other side is there's just a big asymmetry between the demand for developers and uh, the supply of developers in a sense, right? So so there's a lot lot of people that want to try and recruit you as a developer to do whatever they're doing, whether it makes sense for you or not.
0: Yeah. So, okay, so let's ask the other side then. So it makes sense that someone that doesn't know much would get into recruiting just as like, I mean, there are guys like yourself that are both developers and very well educated and have a long successful career that are involved in the profession. And then you get guys that have never done anything related to any part of it. that get involved. I understand that side. Why do you think companies hire the recruiters that have very little to offer? Because if they weren't being hired, then this wouldn't be a problem.
1: Well, they're, they're, they are in a situation where um, they really need to grow their company. So I think it gets back to, is, is there a problem, right? And, uh, you know, what's, what's, what's the solution being applied to that now? And can we innovate and make it a little better than that? <clears throat> and the problem for the company is they've raised some money. They've promised people that they're going to grow whatever wonderful thing that they're working on. And uh, they need to uh, build their team out. And, and many of these companies are doing awesome things. Really exciting work, exciting people, lots of great opportunity. And I think on the other side of the coin, there are developers, and I've been one in my time, who's sort of sat there not quite happy with what I'm doing, not quite happy with the way my career is growing. And I would actually be interested to work with that company. I just don't know about them, and they don't, they don't know about me. I'm busy doing making my living coding and I'm excited about that. I would say it's like professional sudoku. Yeah. And on their side, they're busy doing their thing and they 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 don't have the time to put their effort in. Like so it makes sense that a company would hire
0: a recruiter. That part is sensible to me. The part that's not sensible is why so many bad recruiters get hired. Like in other words, like if we're saying that yeah, there's a problem where there are there are more development opportunities than there are good developers, and um, therefore the competition to get to the developers is difficult, and companies need to find the best ways to get in touch with them, given that most developers that are good would have a decent gig currently, and therefore they use recruiters. That all makes sense. But wh- why why don't they generally use good recruiters? Because if if, if that was... I feel like if if most recruiters that were hired were good, we wouldn't see the avalanche of jokes about this every day
1: yeah, I mean probably it's because it to be what do you need to be to be good at helping people find and grow their careers in technology? What would the ideal recruiter look like right it's got to be it would be somebody who uh is able to understand the companies and what they're looking for. what's the nuance between a full stack developer who's uh, with some needs for node versus like how hard it would be to transition into that node experience or or scalability and stuff. There's a bunch of domain knowledge that we take for granted that a lot of those other people wouldn't necessarily have. That's expensive. The people that understand that have a lot of opportunity cost, right? So it's kind of like, I think there's not that many people that are well positioned to do a good job both in understanding the needs of the companies and also understanding the needs of, of the individuals, like what, 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 are they, what are their skills, how are they trying to grow those skills? If they're a Java developer, should they be looking to do some sort of grow that? And if so, what skills should they be picking up? If they're a Rails developer, should they just know Rails or should they maybe also know Sinatra? And is it, what's the trajectory of Rails versus pure Ruby and so forth? Okay, So that, that's all complex stuff. So I think, I've got a hypothesis to yeah. make then let's, I want to, so
0: what I'm hearing you say is that to be a good recruiter uh, for developers is to understand development itself pretty well. And the companies that are recruiting don't understand oftentimes at least, um, don't understand development well enough themselves in their hiring function or else they would do the recruiting themselves. And therefore they're unable to, um, Figure out who to hire to do the recruiting too, given that the two skill sets are sort of overlapping. In, in other words, if you knew how to hire a recruiter well, you'd probably know how to hire a developer well, and if you knew how to do that, you may not need the recruiter in the first place.
1: Yeah, but you could you could argue that um, you know you, they may someone might know how to hire a developer well, but just be so busy with those resources doing development that they don't put those towards trying to find developers if you
0: were to separate out the clients that you've had over the years into the different groups, like is, is it common that you'd have someone that, uh, just doesn't have time and therefore is adding you as an extension of their own capabilities, or is it more common that they have like a business goal and some money, but don't know the technology well enough and therefore are sort of outsourcing the whole deal to you?
1: I think it's, it's, it's a mix. Um, I think that a lot of it, a lot, a lot of the companies that I work with trying to help them find developers uh, on a kind of full-time basis or uh, have a lot of solid domain expertise. They're, they're great teams, got good develop- developers in there. They're just really busy. They're trying to grow X. They're trying to build the next platform, be it sort of financial or encryption. Uh, they're trying to do that function. And they understand that the best way to engage with the community is through probably putting having their developers maybe talk to other developers sort of work out who's good, how to reach out to them uh you know try and be able to get the message about what they're doing out uh but they're very busy so so they they don't it's it's less of that they just don't understand it it's more that they they are they really need almost like. A developer, an outside developer, to help connect them to people.
0: So, if if you were counseling a company on how to hire a recruiter, a technical recruiter, what would be like three good questions for them to put every candidate recruiter through that would help separate the the guys that have sol- guys and gals that have solid capabilities from those that that uh, send the insane emails that we see.
1: Yeah, I mean it's interesting because you know one one funny thing about. How I've ended up working with companies, uh, trying to find them developers, is that I'm not out there necessarily comparing myself to other recruiters per se. Uh, I'm just trying to solve their particular need. So, you know, it's almost to to help work out which recruiters are good and which are bad. uh, I'm not doing that regularly, (laughs) but it doesn't mean I can't hypothesize a little about that. Um, well, people are doing
0: that with you, though. I mean, if someone meets correct. you, that's they're correct. they're deciding if. You're
1: I think there. I think the key things in that sense are that do does this person does this team that you're potentially talking with understand uh, does they do they understand not only kind of some job spec that you threw at them but like what you're actually you're trying to achieve with your team who you've got in your team uh, and, and how. Uh, what, are, what are the weightings of different elements of your needs, be it technical or leadership or so forth? Um, do, they, do they understand that balance? So do they have that domain knowledge of how a development team works in order to be able to have good conversations with you about, does this person fit? How far away from an ideal fit is this person? You know, how about this person looks really good because they have a lot of just core ability or experience in something that's quite parallel, uh, is it worth giving that person a try? You know, how long would it take them to learn this language, uh, this technology, you know, or if they've got a lot of experience deploying puppet uh, and uh, chef, how long is it really going to take them to learn salt? You know, that kind of thing. So, so I guess domain experience would be uh, something that I think would be a key thing.
0: Um, so I want to work out the, like the smoke test though. So like, let's say I'm the hiring, let's say I have a company and I'm interested in hiring you potentially to help fill out my development team. So like, what's the smoke test I can use to sit, figure out if you are possibly a good candidate? You know what I mean? Like those quick questions because I'm not going to have the opportunity to have a, an extended dialogue with every possible recruiter that I could work with. What are the the signals that someone may not be the best the best fit for that role you know what i mean like because because i I feel like the i feel like a lot of companies get stuck with recruiters that are really just not right at all and that it it shouldn't take that much effort to figure out that some guys that are no good at that job are no good at that job
1: yeah um so i mean i think you could you could So then it's like, what I'm saying is that domain knowledge is important. So what elements of domain knowledge with respect to recruiting are important? So you could ask them, uh, you know, a particular job placement that they had in the past and how they were, how they basically fit. What was the, what was the, uh, how did, how did they think about that position? Although that's not necessarily a, a punchy question, right? So, You know, the question is, is there other punchy questions that you can ask, pithy questions that help determine that?
0: Well, I I like, I mean, I I think in general in interviews that asking about recent experiences is a, you know, solid way to go. So if you said, hey, uh, tell me about um, your last placement that you hired, you know, what were the three key things the company was doing and why was the person you hired a fit? Something like that. I guess that makes sense.
1: Um, Yeah, or like you could say, you know, tell me an example of somebody you placed at a company that was a good fit. Tell me an example of, because uh, the boundary conditions are really interesting, right? So tell me about somebody that you submitted to a company that uh, it wasn't a fit. And, and, uh, and why was it not a fit, yep. you know, from a technical perspective? You know, so they should be able to then say something like, well, you know, I I put this person forward. They didn't have as much platform experience as I would have thought they might have. Or or tell or or here's somebody that is building compilers, so they have a lot of low level C C plus plus knowledge, uh, and we're developing a platform. The company's developing a platform product, and so they're looking for somebody that had that match of algorithms. How did that play out? You know, tell me. You know, so so a good recruiter should be able to walk you through the nuance of when people were above the bar and when people weren't above the bar and why that was the case so you should then get, if they, if they can't describe situations like that, then that should give you a red flag that, they, that they're not going to be able to have those important conversations on an ongoing basis
0: Yeah, I mean it sort of feels like part of the so what in the, about um, programmers reactions to recruiters is just ignore the guys that are no good like may, yeah. maybe maybe part of the issue is we just make a big deal. Like imagine if we made a big deal of every piece of junk mail we got in the mail. Like you know yeah. imagine like I posted to Twitter. Can you believe these idiots are sending me a a letter that says important open immediately when it's really just an ad for their you know aftermarket car insurance. These, they, these people, you know, I'm going to report them to the to the authorities because you know do you know that you're com Imagine uh, that you know if yeah, every yet, single yet time. again
1: I mean, they they want me to install solar panel cells on my house. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's they
0: should. You know what? The the there should be rules about the, yeah. the solar panel manufacturers do not engage in these sorts of underhanded tactics, et cetera. But I Maybe- think I think that ties
1: to that point about how we've built tech and we've we've optimized technology as developers. We're the best at it because we're building that technology to connect people to us, right? In a way that sending somebody email, harassing me on LinkedIn seems to be much more. Uh, personally a violation using words that probably people would on Twitter, right. Than than just accruing some junk mail in my mailbox. Yeah. And on the roof.
0: I think I'm going to flip it around in my mind from now. On, cause I never get all worked up about the recruiting emails. And the reason why I find it interesting to talk about is that it's a thing. And I'm like, well, this is clearly a thing for a lot of people. And I don't know if it's like a cultural thing where we just, the programming community likes to get it's, you know, it's, uh, get upset about this. Or if it actually is like a personal reaction that gets people really upset because in my, in sort of in real life, if someone consistently opens up junk mail, like my reaction is what is wrong with you? Like, at, you know, at some point you realize when the letter comes from something that looks like a sort of direct mail machine, but has in fake stamp <laughs> imagery on it open immediately. You, you like, you, you know, Oh, right. Like, I don't have to open this. And, and in fact, if I did open it, it, it sort of speaks to my own sensibility. Um, I, I, maybe it's the same thing with recruiting email. that I, I,
1: you, like, I like junk mail because uh, you just throw it on the fire. It keeps you warm. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, they don't
0: usually have those little transparent windows on the front because those are more expensive and those <laughs> are like nasty in the fire.
1: <laughs> I don't know why they don't just like get rid of all of the, just make it really plain because that would have that would trick me. I think if it was more the more plain ones trick me. Because I think, uh, you know, that's obviously not junk junk mail. But it, maybe maybe part of what annoys people is you're you're uh, decreasing the density of interesting information that's coming to them through usual channels because you're you're keep uh, the recruiters are stuffing junk in there, right? I mean, I think there's there's an ongoing. I don't have an ongoing. I don't have a need an ongoing need for subtler panels, right? So I'm not looking out for solar panel communication. But if I feel that, like, I have an ongoing responsibility to myself to be developing my career or thinking what I might be happiest about doing, uh, if somebody's kind of, like, in that channel and they're cluttering it up and and sending me a bunch of information about companies that just don't make any sense, then, yeah, that could be – that's increasing the the, the kind of – the, the, the it's decreasing the density of useful information. So I guess people, you know, that's probably what people are reacting to. Now, do you think that,
0: that um, like, if you were to think about all the recruiters that you've met over your career, is is it the rule that, that a recruiter in this, in this part of the recruiting world, in technical recruiting, is actually pretty good and it's the exceptions that are jokers? Or do you think that the rule is actually pretty rough and, and it's the exception that's pretty good?
1: You know so i don't know it 's like it's uh that's one of those things where the, you know i'm i'm in a space where i don 't really know the other players that well because it's <laughs> interesting I, just, right? I sort of evolved in... i mean i I look at it more like it's kind of like uh what if you if you if you were running a company and you were looking to build out your development team you'd be systematic scientific, and pragmatic, and you'd do exactly what I do in order to try and reach out to people and then on the other side, it's uh, you know, so so you just do that. That would be, and then you'd be sort of surprised that there's this whole industry called recruitment that goes on doing that at the same time in their weird way, you know. So it's almost like I'm looking over the fence at how what's going on there and seeing, you know, but obviously subject to knowing that uh, you know there's a lot of animosity there, and negativity there. But I think there's still that fundamental core. I keep going back to there's a problem which is. There's people that don't necessarily have unhappy uh, in what they're doing, and they they don't feel like they're they're getting value as much as they should do. They're against a backdrop of you know the world's being eaten up by software, and they feel like they would like a better uh, you know deal, and and there probably are better deals for them. But you know they're too busy doing their thing. Uh, it's a full-time job to try and do the kind of research you need to do. Because really what you want to do is research the market of of opportunities for you, look at companies, try and see which companies you might be interested in, how to, how to step into the water there without the fear of rejection of an interview and so forth. And I think there's a lot of great work that can be done there. And I, that's what I'm ideally hoping to do with Ruby now and put more effort into building out kind of, uh, ways that people can do that research in their pajamas you know <laughs> and then and then you know because right now, what would the ideal experience be like I think that 's interesting to think about it's like you 'd be able to you know go and look at what it feels like feel there 's two parts of your brain there 's the intellectual side, and then there 's the just the kind of the non intellectual animal side and you a lot of people's fears, I think, with going to work in a new company, a new job is that when they get in there they they, they, won't, be, they won't feel nurtured, they won't feel like they're in a good team, they won't feel, they'll feel rejected, and there's a lot of reasonable and actual fear there. but how could you explore that through the tools that we've come to know, which is you know the internet and the screen you know so is it possible to do that? So I've got to read the first sponsor, but after this, let's talk about. The
0: sort of flow being reversed instead of it being that the company is trying to pull the developer to them. The, what about some of the talk lately about developers having agents? I just want to have some sort of thought experiment conversation about that, but I need to read a, read a sponsor first. So uh, today's first sponsor is Codeship. Codeship's a free continuous delivery service that's really simple to use. They offer 100 builds per month for five private projects for free. The whole product also has a big focus on usability, super easy to use from uh, beginning through when you use it uh, every day. Uh, you can set up continuous integration in a few easy steps, and uh, your software will automatically deploy when all your tests have passed. CodeShip has great support for multiple languages and test frameworks. You can easily integrate with GitHub and Bitbucket for code hosting and then deploy to cloud services or your own servers start out with Codeship's free plan setup only takes about three minutes find Codeship on Codeship.com that's new they used to be Codeship.io Codeship.com slash 5x5Ruby and use the offer code 5x5Ruby to get 20% off any plan for three months you can also check out their blog at blog.codeship.com to get updates I uh I've used them for about six months now as my continuous delivery service. I'm a paying customer and I love it. One of my favorite uh, parts of my stack. So I uh, personally recommend it. Uh, Again, go to codeship.com slash five by five Ruby to learn more. Thanks to them for sponsoring. Okay. So I don't know if you saw uh, the articles recently about um, there's a, I'm going to forget the name. I've got to look it up. There's an agency, I think down in New York city, um, that is, a. it's, it's an agent for programmers. I think it's called 10 X or I think it's called 10 X. So they're an, an agency. So the idea is like, let's say I'm a great programmer and I've had, you know, a bunch of, uh, great wins under my belt. I am expert in some number of things. I've got some amount of, uh, um, you know, sort of notoriety uh, in the community and I'm ready to go get my new thing. They represent me out to the world of, uh, people looking to hire folks like me. So just like an agent in, in basketball represents a player to NBA teams, same deal for developers. Um, it got a lot of attention. I think there was an article in the New York times about it. What's, what's your take on sort of on flipping the direction and having it be more of a push from the developer out into the community instead of a pull from the, from the hiring companies into the development world.
1: Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I think I, I read the article as well in the New York times and uh, is it 10
0: X? Did I get that right? Yeah, I
1: think it's 10 X, 10 X. Um, and, uh, if it's not, they'll probably be cringing if they're listening to this podcast that we <laughs> haven't got the right link to them, but yeah, Generally, the, you know, what, the exciting punchy piece of that article was uh, here's agents who typically represent movie stars, uh, music uh, artists, and whatnot. And here we have developers, and we're so in demand that we get our own agents as well, right? Pretty cool, right? Now,
0: that, I, I feel like you're, you'd be in a pretty good position to comment on whether you think that's reasonable. Like, will yeah. it work? When would it work? What, what's the good and the bad of that idea?
1: So, so you know, rolling back, if there's a problem, uh, what is that problem? That's a problem that on one side you have developers that really could do with help getting optimized careers for themselves, right? And then on the other side, there's companies that are really looking for developers that are, that are good for them. It's a matchmaking service. The matchmaking service, there's obviously a lot of attempts to do that through uh, on, you know tools and systems to make that as cheap as possible. But I really think it's like there's half of it, half the problem is intellectual, half of it's this kind of like animal piece that we all need to feel good about it, which is important and trust and so forth. And I feel it's going to be hard to bake all that out. So I feel like you know somebody has to bear that burden of that cost it could either be the company sort of part-time spending time uh you know outreaching on their own and by the way i'd prefix the whole conversation with don't use a recruiter unless you really need to right um do it yourself there's lots of tools and interesting things to do that Uh, but if you are in a position where you you know you're so busy that you need help that makes sense to do that but you know is it possible for the developers to pay for that interesting proposition um you know, and I think I think that's an interesting thing to explore. I think Ten X, if that's their name, is is exploring that in an interesting way. I think what they're doing when I dug into it more is they're basically representing uh, more kind of contract programmers on shorter term projects. So uh, you know, if you need a Java developer, I know you're a freelancer, it's almost like they're the connector for freelance developers. Although it's a,
0: it's an interesting sort of distinction to make and that like, at what point does someone become a, a contract slash freelancer compared to someone that's more of a career person? Like is a year, like let's say a year, if someone was planning on going to a gig for a year, does that count as contract or is that long enough that it's, it's more employee type, type deal? Like, I think that that's, I think it's a little arbitrary to put. Put yeah. in one of the boxes.
1: Well, yeah. So, no, it is uh, – look, these are all kind of like it depends kind of a thing, right? Uh, I think it's almost like a ratio, right? So if you, let's say, look at more edge cases. If you took – if you're a consultant and you did a day's worth of consulting and then you needed another gig, right, your ratio of the amount of time for searching versus the amount of time doing is going to be different from somebody who's three years at one particular gig – uh, and the amount of searching time is there for a lot less. So I think I think in the case where uh, you know, as if in in the case where it's more short term projects, you need more searching help. And as you, the freelancer, you're the more continuous element in that relationship. Mm-hmm. So it makes probably more sense that you're going to be you're going to be the, the one who can afford to pay for that. You feel the pain of that more than maybe even the clients.
0: I think so. I try to think about this in terms of the NBA. So I'm, I'm a huge NBA fan. And if you think about the job of the agent of the NBA player, I think that it actually makes it pretty easy to imagine what the job of a, an agent could be in the programming world. So, you know, the, I think it's interesting. So, so first the job of the agent isn't to sort of negotiate the bear minimums, because that's already done through the collective bargaining agreement. In other words, like there there are a set of lines drawn that are pretty clear that say, okay, like every contract that ever happens between a a team and a player will fit within the following framework. Now that framework's big, but it's, it's not as big as like U S employment law, right? It's like a box, so the agent's job isn't to draw the lines at the boundaries because those are already given by the collective bargaining agreement. Um, the agent's job, but but it's not super, super short term like you said, so it's not like I'm going to go play for a week or usually even a season, although sometimes it's, you know, say two to five seasons or four seasons maybe. So it's sort of me- medium duration, just like a, most programming jobs are probably two to four seasons too. And the job then is just to is to within the framework of sort of what what the collective bargaining agreement allows to represent that player out to the teams and deal with the back and forth of the negotiation, knowing that because someone's great at shooting a basketball does not make them good at negotiating for themselves. And if you just replaced basketball player with programmer there, I think all those things apply, give or take.
1: Yeah, so the only other thing I would throw into the mix there would be What's the percentage of cost of the agent versus uh, the gain that they could potentially get for that uh, that person? So yeah, I mean, that's, so so so, and what's the absolute amount that they can get? So how affordable is it for somebody to be an agent for a basketball player? So like, maybe they make maybe maybe they make I don't know ten percent, ten percent, I think. Yeah. Okay. So and how much does an NBA player make?
0: Well, the average salary in the NBA is probably like $1.2 million
1: a year. Okay. So, you know, if that person was to represent that one player, they would be making 120000 right?
0: I think I probably got that wrong, too. Median is two, yeah, $2.27 million now.
1: Well, they just got a pay raise.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> no, but then you can effectively say, or another way of looking at it is that position would pay uh, if somebody were to fulfill it and, uh, an NBA player was to think 10% is sort of a marginal amount that they could believe that that person, if they did a good job could, could make more than that. It makes business sense for that individual to, to apportion almost a quarter of a million dollars to be able to have somebody rushing around doing that kind of work. So that's a lot of rushing around that would be done for them in order to do that. Right now, you know, obviously the pay for a as developers, is nothing like that.
0: <laughs> oh, it's four, four, so 4% was the answer. So an, okay. N, an NBA agent is not allowed to make more than 4%. So that's the absolute max that they can make. And I assume then that that means that the average is less. But Got it. Okay. So, but I mean, I think your point still remains, but I, it's not like... I don't think it's massively different. I mean, I think there's also a difference in the qualifications of a... Uh, an NBA agent and a developer agent or a recruiter. And that, you know, not every recruiter like yourself has a PhD. Right. And in the, and the NBA, you know, these guys are elite lawyers usually. So guys that would be making, you know, a few hundred thousand a year, uh, in private practice if they weren't doing this. And, you know, so maybe the salary is a third of that for developer agents, but the, the concept seemed to hold pretty well.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's just, it's the question of, uh, you know if i think uh i don't know the mba enough to know how how long those contracts are what's involved in negotiating them and turning them around and how much of uh how much of how big that task is and how complex that task is and uh i think with the development side of things it's like if you were to be a developer you know flip it to a, you're a developer right if you were to say i can reach out directly to companies or i could bring in an agent um, that would make who knows what on top of that ten twenty who knows percent of that, um, does it make sense to use that agent or not use an agent right as a as a rational bit person, that developer? I think it makes a lot more sense if it 's more short term gigs than if it 's that kind of long term gig so so right now like let 's say I was interested in
0: in a one to three year gig with someone. Yeah, and is, so if I contacted you, or or is there someone you know setting aside ten x where I could say, hey, I'm interested in that. I'm willing to pay, you know, five percent of my salary or or whatever income I get as a commission for you being the agent for me uh, during that period. Is that a thing, or is that not really a thing?
1: I I don't know whether I think I think it's not a thing in that setup. Um, uh, but I don't know, you know, it's a big world, right? I know that it's definitely a thing when it comes to freelance work effectively, you know? And that's where I think you as an individual feel the pain greatest and you have the greatest fear around it. And you maybe have a lack of access to what that person could supply you with.
0: It's, you know, so we were talking in the, the NBA analogy about the collective bargaining agreement and how it provides a framework that has like, most of the bright lines drawn that you have to negotiate within so it'd be things like uh you know uh, the the max length of a contract or the minimum amount of a contract or the you know stipend for meals daily if traveling you know that kind of stuff so it's interesting that there hasn't been sort of a a grassroots open source collective bargaining agreement that that developers opt into as like a okay you know, here's my sort of base terms that everything's going to fit into that, that's been sort of crowdsourced into be- becoming kind of a good, comprehensive list. Have you seen such a thing?
1: No, but I've thought, about, I've thought about that in slightly different ways, right? So you could have, I've thought about like a coda credo, right? So you could say, have companies that say, um, hey, look, I, I agree to the following things. Right, and you could, they could stick a badge on their site, or when they're talking to people, they could point to this as "this is our credo." Right, and it doesn't mean you know. I think for different people, they're looking for different things, and I, this gets down to like as an individual, what's your risk-reward profiles look like? You know, I, I have two kids now, right? So my ability to tolerate more risk is a lot lower than it was when I didn't. You know, and so I have a certain financial need and so forth. That's fine. That's just my constraint, right? Um, so I would probably I would be looking for a, it would be a cultural mismatch if I was to join some company uh, which was wanted to, you know we're going to we're going to burn the midnight or we're going to just work as hard as we could we're going to run as fast as we can at the brick wall and make it fall down before we run into it kind of thing or or not <laughs> right um, that's going to be a bad mismatch it's going to set, set up for failure but you know there's other organisations that say hey look you know we have much we, part of what we are offering you is maybe you get less equity, maybe you get a little less cash, right? But what we're offering you is a good work-life balance, you know? And so is there a way to, at a, like one level is have some credo where these are, these are credos, right? It's like we're a work-life balance organization, this is what we do, right? And, and you could sort of almost say who you define yourself in some way that was, you know, transferable in your mind. You'd understand what that meant. I think what you're talking about is almost like a unionization of developers, Right.
0: I mean, whether formal or not, I think that the, you know, if it it was actually a union, then, then, I mean, I think that there is a difference between it being an actual union and it being kind of a, an opt in. I mean, I guess unions are opt in also. So, so I guess, you know, whether it's recognized by the NLRB as a real union or not. Uh, I think is a separate issue, but the idea that you know people are reinventing again and again in their own negotiations with companies the sort of terms that make that employment or contract reasonable, and that seems unnecessary to me it's
1: yeah you know, i mean i think I think I know what you're saying, and i think i think uh you know I think uh and this is obviously, I'm out of my depth talking about unionization of developers. I'm not really sure all of the things that that brings into bear, but um, I think it, it, and collective bargaining and so forth, um, you know, sometimes that makes sense when an individual's. Uh, so I'm not, I actually probably shouldn't talk about that because I don't know, but I could see that kind of thing uh, being. I'm surprised also that, that hasn't there hasn't been more talk about that. I think I've maybe seen certain elements of that. Maybe that's something that happens as a industry more matures in a sense. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of chatter, but I think maybe there are there are
0: I think that there there may be a a sort of underlying um, cultural thing within the sort of entrepreneur tech community that that makes it unlikely to happen. So, you know, if if I don't think that this is entirely fair, but in the in the tech community, the sort of the there there's like a a political undercurrent of um <laughs> I'm I'm blanking on the name. What's the name of the the sort of f- free market but quote liberal um um on the social issues. How the libertarian? First? Libertarian. Yeah. So, there's like a libertarian ethos in in some of the tech community that I think would always go against the idea of the organization of programmers, because, you know, the people that lose quote, you know, quote unquote in organization are the elite, like the, the, the top of the top. And at least that's the, that's the conventional wisdom. And I think in a libertarian ethos sort of has the top of the top. The, the idea is that everyone could be the top of the top This sort of like American dream. So it makes it less likely. So maybe that's the reason.
1: Maybe it, maybe it's you know it's like different cultures have different preferences for these types of uh, models. So maybe this is something you maybe see more happen in a European environment than than maybe a, a U.S. one. But mm-hmm. uh, but I think it's interesting. I think uh, I think definitely companies could do a better job of trying to uh, help people understand what they're offering in terms that weren't captured in some job post which i think is a terrible medium for communicating uh, what your life's going to look like for two years
0: yeah Uh, on that point you know i think the um you know in the open source community there are different licenses right for the software that that people attach to their projects that and i think a lot of work has gone in to make those licenses easier to understand
1: right and i think it's i think it's it's almost like you know how far if you had like a no, license or a credo that was: we are a, we offer work-life balance, right? Yeah. Or we're we're looking for a professional developer. You
0: we know? we opt into the following terms, and the terms yeah. are very sort of clearly defined.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it could be like we believe in the following. You know, we believe that you know you you, know, you generally work forty to fifty hours a week. We believe that in emergencies you'll help us out. We, we believe that we believe in training. Uh, and uh, we we, uh, we proportion a certain amount of time a year to that. Um, you know, these are things, right, that when you hear them, you start to understand that company better. Another company could be, we believe that, right now is our opportunity and we want to go for it with all of our, with all of our reserve. Right. Right. Uh, you know, we, 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 uh, we're very collaborative and we, 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 we believe that we, we all have a say and, uh, you know, we believe that we, you know, we, we want to push as hard as we can to make this a success. And if you want to join in, that's great. Great. That's awesome. Right. People can then know what they're getting into and you don't have to have sort of a, a dance around that or maybe a professional developer, uh, who wants to just who wants to basically who's got great skills wants to push things forward, but you know they've got life outside of work they want to do that for forty hours a week or maybe there's somebody who wants to do it for twenty hours a week and on the side be pushing forward whatever they're doing as well you know those are all totally fine.
0: So I think you just articulated pretty well the case for the recruiter honestly in that you know th- given that companies aren't great at articulating what their kind of objective and constraints are and on the other side the developers aren't great at articulating what their objectives and constraints are in structured ways it means that someone has to translate each side so that the developer their objective and constraint capabilities are sort of communicated effectively and vice versa and therefore you know given that there's a lot of fuzziness on each side it can get a little bit more structured in the middle that, that seems like a pretty good case for a recruiter
1: yeah, and it's that matchmaking service, and I think there's real needs and i mean look you know I talk to a lot of uh developers, and uh you know i am I'm, I'm not just talking to them because I'm trying to shop a company to them I'm trying to talk to them to for a longer term relationship right and and also you know it's like what are what 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 are your interests as a developer? I ask myself you know what what am what are the set of things that I'm doing? versus what are the set of things that I want to do. What right. I want to do is a smaller set. I should really understand that, or at least have a chat about it, you know.
0: <laughs> you're, <laughs> well, so you're,
1: you're making me think I've got to I've got to reconsider yeah, yeah. some things. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> all like that. I do that all the time. You know, I'm thinking like, boy, do I really want to, you know, do I really want to be a recruiter? Is that really what I want to be? You know, I'd say a lot of people drag us to, you know, it seems like a bad thing in some ways. But then I think, yeah, maybe there's a bad rep for some people that do that on their side of the fence. But I think there's also a real need. But then I think, hey, I know people that feel fed up that they're not, getting what they want to get out of their development career. And like, I know I could help them out, yeah. you know, and on the other sides, I know companies, they're really good companies, that have their nuance, their nuances and they're looking for help and and they'd and be a great home for people. And I think, like, I could help those people connect if I could do that and I can make a living at it. You know, that's, that's, isn't that is not a worthwhile thing to have done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I don't worry about the, you know, the Twitter comments and like, okay, that's fine, call me what you want. But I think that's, that's the sort of value. But yeah, I think it's... Talking to people, helping understand what are their constraints are, what they could be doing, what they might want to do, might, what they might want to see in career growth, and then on the develop, on the company side, yeah, what are, what are you doing? Don't think of yourself as some job post. What is it that you know? What can you offer? Uh, what could you change? You know, what are you doing? Why 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 are you not that attractive right now? Well, you know, maybe there's things you could do to fix that. You know, it's on both sides, it's it's quite it's quite a complex and interesting problem when
0: you look at it that way. So I've got a good last topic, but let me do our second sponsor, if you don't mind. Okay. Uh, Our second sponsor is a new sponsor of the show called Days Work. If you're a freelancer or you work in a small company, so this is going to apply to a huge number of people that are listening to this show, you should give them a try. Days Work's a new way to track time and send invoices for freelancers and small companies. It was designed and built by a small company that was bummed out by other time trackers. Visual and interactive timeline is a fast way to record what you've worked on and make sure you didn't forget to fill in time. DaysWork allows you to give every member of your organization their own account. There are no limits whatsoever. You can control who can see and manage financials with admin and non-admin roles. DaysWork allows you to adjust your rates for every individual client project and task, if necessary. Uh, Even has international support. You choose the currency what kind of clock you want to use the preferred number formatting. If you want to add use to your, uh, words, it doesn't actually do that one, but it does do the, uh, the, the clock and number formatting. Um, you can hide and archive inactive clients, lots and lots of features. You can export all of your data at any time. So you're not locked in in case you decide to do something else in the future. Um, days works the simplest and easiest way to organize your clients and keep track of your business. Okay. So how do you sign up? Uh, super straightforward. You uh, get a, th- a free trial for 30 days without a credit card you've got nothing to lose. Um, a fellow five by five host helped created days work. So they're even giving a discount on top of that. If you go to dayswork.co slash join slash Ruby again, Dayswork.co slash join, Slash Ruby and uh, enter, oh, well, that's it. You don't have to enter anything. So you get twenty percent off both the monthly and the yearly plans just by going to that URL. Um, take a look at Day's Work, see uh, see what you think. Give it a try, and uh, thanks to them for sponsoring. Okay, cool stuff. Yeah, right. So I had this conversation with a guy that I know the other day, and I, I thought it was super interesting. And I'd like your insights on it. So. We were talking about what in his career was the thing that he, that would mean the most to him that we suspected would mean the least to the company to give up. In other words, like what was the high, like on the margin, high leverage negotiation thing for him? So I'll give an example. Like, let's say having a small plant at his desk was <laughs> the the most important thing in the world to him. And let's say that that that's not a given that you could have a small plant at the at, at your desk, then you know negotiating that into his employment deal would be a huge win for him because the company wouldn't care, but it means a lot to him. Yeah, I think pets sometimes are that way for people. He
1: should he should start off asking for a big plant.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> 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 so what do you think are the what do you think are the kind of the attributes of the deal between a company and an employee that are under leveraged by companies. In other words, the things that people care about a ton that don't cost the company anything to give up yet aren't generally included in the deal.
1: Yeah, or or are included but nobody talks about them.
0: <laughs> well, so, I mean if so we, so
1: like training, right? Mentorship. Yeah, right? So it's like you 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 know, by working and that uh, you know, the the start off with a big plan uh, start off by saying, I want to bring two dogs to work. <laughs> and they'll maybe let you bring one. No, I think those are, those, are, those, are, those are sort of things in the kind of like animal side. These are things that we want in our work life. We want to feel comfortable. And there are things that make each of us feel comfortable. And that could be totally fine, right? I think the things that are other elements are, how can you be, how can, what, what, are, what, what could a company do for you that would improve that, that, that has career value to it, right? Training, but also there's like training where you go off on some course. I've heard about that. That's great. Maybe the, the company pays for a week for you to go to some mobile development course, right? And you're, you're basically learning, uh, you know, all of the latest and greatest so you can apply that back to what you're doing. Does is it, is it make sense for the company if like, you know, 50th of your time is spent actually learning how to do things correctly? I mean, as a programmer, it makes a ton of sense to me. Right? Yeah yeah. They <laughs> yeah, like a I think <laughs> like that's it a good example. Your development it could like lop off, you know, weeks and weeks of things because you're you're not rambling up the wrong tree or you've you've rebuilt an authentication system and you find that you you bump into devise and cancan or something like that you're like dull.
0: A book I, I think the idea of a, uh, you know, some sort of education stipend or budget <laughs> or entitlement of of some sort. That's a good example of one where I don't my guess is that there are a lot of companies that are not taking advantage of that lever quite enough.
1: Yeah. You know, because also on the, as for me as a developer, let's say I'm a more junior developer, right? I'm just getting into it. I'm making, you know, who knows seventy, eighty thousand $80,000 or something like that. And then, and then in New York or something like that, and then maybe more, maybe less, whatever. But, uh, I know that if I can get experience, uh, I could be making a bunch more than that, right? Because then I start becoming a medium or a senior developer. How do I get that kind of experience? Well, yeah, there's training is one way of doing that. Uh, being able to have some kind of mentorship time so that the company is not just going to throw me in a corner and expect me to sort of self-learn or maybe there's a lunch and learn or maybe a lunch and learn is better than nothing. But could I, be, could I be told that like you know an hour a week, I get a chance to have a senior developer review my code? Right, and give me tips and hints in a, like a non-stress, stressful way, you know, where they're where they're basically helping sort of give. I could bring to them. Here's some challenges I've been facing in the code that I'm working. How would you How would you solve that? And maybe you pair, pair program for for a certain period of time, and you're then learning about how to do that.
0: So I've uh, I think that I underestimated how important that is until recently. So I'll tell a little personal story about what you just said. So I've been learning Ember, I think we talked about that the other day. And I'm I'm good enough at Rails now that uh, I don't have many moments when I'm working on a Rails app where I feel stumped. I mean, of course, like anyone, I have to look up the documentation and, you know, your, your, your bugs exist and whatever. But, but, you know, I don't feel like, I, I don't lose two hours pulling my hair out all that often. Um, so I kind of had forgotten what that feels like. Not that it was that long ago that I felt that <laughs> way, but maybe it's just... Getting... I don't have
1: the hair to pull out anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, mine's short. I, I, it's like relatively full, but it's about a quarter inch long, so not even. But Anyways, so uh, uh, I guess it wasn't that long ago that I had that feeling, but I had forgotten, um, yeah. forgotten about it. Anyways, so I'm learning Ember, and oh my goodness, I am in the deep end, like half the day, if I am working on something. And it really has made me appreciate having someone that you can talk to about like, what's the right way to do this where I hadn't been feeling that way in rails. Cause I kind of know what the right way to do it is now. Cause I have, you know, had that opportunity over a few years, but I think you're right. I think that, that a company offering that kind of, uh, that kind of, uh, opportunity for folks is a big deal. And probably, I mean, if the company has those people inside it, the mentors inside it, that seems like an obvious thing to pitch. But I wonder in a smaller team, if giving a, giving an allowance for what what are those services where you can like on demand pair with someone for a little bit of time? Do you know about those?
1: Yeah. 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 I've, I can't bring them to mind, but uh, as a name, but yeah, you basically quick Google search, let me Google up for you. Uh, But uh, yeah, you, you know, the basic goal is you pop in there, you pay a certain amount and somebody appears who's credentialed to some level, that can then look at your code and interactively give you kind of feedback and so forth, which makes tons, tons of sense. But yeah, one, one is there allowance for that? I think that makes sense. It doesn't necessarily tax the company uh, by taking senior developers that might be busy on something. They could argue investing in your own people is an important thing, but maybe there's, maybe it's a layered thing, right? And Maybe that's part of your credo. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's a good, that's a really valuable thing. But also to your point about Ember, it's, you know, if you're, looking at an opportunity and a company's uh, saying, okay, you're going to be doing Rails development. And you're like, all right, okay, that's cool. But if they say, but if they could, they maybe have a need for, for somebody who's doing some of that Ember work, they could have you work on that at the same time and you're now expanding your career capabilities and also just it's fun to learn new languages, right? So you then see that as a real value that the company could give to you that would make you want to stay working with them. Ah, co- here's one of them,
0: co- uh, code mentor. I don't think this is the one that I was thinking of, though. But, but, anyways, I you know I think that this is. I'm going to actually do this on in my own company at some point, which is like th- what a great thing to give someone like a budget of thousand dollars a month or thousand dollars a quarter or whatever to connect with a code mentor for to get help in real time. Cause most companies that I, you know, let, let's say you're not a big company. And even if you are a big company, the likelihood that you're going to have multiple experts in, you know, or at least one expert in all areas seems pretty low. Um,
1: and who's available when you'd want them to. Yeah, exactly. Get information into your process, right?
0: It seems like decoupling the idea of mentorship or, or even, you know, on demand assistance from the, the direct resources that the company has in house is a sensible thing to do. Just say, okay, okay, yeah, we've got some programmers, but in order to make the fit better between kind of the, the need of whoever's learning whatever and the potential mentor, we're just going to go to some sort of external service as a standard. I, I yeah, kind of like maybe, that
1: idea. Maybe it's a little bigger than just, uh, hey, I've got an hour of somebody who's going to help me in Ember. Maybe it's actually a sort of, you know, dreaming up a service around something. But, uh, you know, it's kind of like there's a certain amount of time it's useful to struggle with a concept and a certain amount of time that's useful to be helped out with that, right? So if you if you basically, if I've got a problem with Ember and you pop in there and you say oh, here's a solution, or here's a solution to Rails, my uh, habit response is going to form around, okay, I could go to that service and ask the person difficult questions. Whereas like if I struggle with the, the, the issue for a little bit in a structured way, ideally I can potentially learn how to solve my own problem, but make sure I'm doing it in a way that makes sense from a big picture perspective. Mm. You know, I'm not learning the wrong thing strategically. They're providing the strategy almost of what I should and shouldn't be, what, what design patterns I should be tuning into. So,
0: so when you think about the, the various uh, developers that you've worked with over the years, what do they, in your experience, what do they often want that if you were the company you would give them that companies aren't, aren't too keen on giving usually?
1: I mean, I, I, I think it's – um, I mean, I almost like reflecting on myself, and that sort of seems to be true with other people that I've talked to. It's being able to have somebody to bounce off your questions about are you doing the right thing structurally, you know? And those kind of – those difficult questions where it's not just – you can just go to <clears throat> Stack Overflow and answer the question. You know, it's kind of like, maybe you can, right? I mean, a lot of, uh, it, but, but it's good to have a dialogue sometime. Here is my specific issue, and here's how I'm trying to solve it. Should I be using authentication gem here, or should I be using my own role, your own stuff, right? And it all depends on what your particular situation is, and be able to go through that thought exercise with somebody who's effectively applying tutorship to you, Uh, they're tutoring you to go through that problem. So you are growing uh, in in that sense. You know, it's kind of like what code reviews are in some ways.
0: Yeah, I've never, it's interesting. I've never once heard a company proactively offer sort of uh, on demand, you know, some sort of code review, like to use your words. So some sort of code review benefit using resources outside the company. Like I've heard people talk about it as like well our team is great and we've got you know awesome uh capabilities that you can benefit from through mentorship but I haven't heard them talk about if they're small or if, or if they're big providing that you know using an external service like CodeMentor and I and I, I totally agree that I think that that's a missing thing.
1: Yeah, I think it makes tons of sense because yeah. you know you're paying for like you know it's almost like there's a panel of switches you know, and the the expert goes up and switches the one switch, and the lights all come on, right? And you're paying for the expertise surgically applied to your problem in a tutoring way, so you can like, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, you, it's like, uh, <laughs> what's it? Uh, oh, I've forgotten the joke now, but whatever. But anyway, but you you can basically learn the learn the, learn and solve the problem, yeah. Uh, yourself,
0: yeah, yeah. The Ember the Ember experience
1: has been humbling. <laughs>
0: I'd say very humbling. <laughs> like I'm to the, I, I was talking to my wife about this last night, I think much to her chagrin, but uh, I'm in that spot now with Ember where I'm beyond the tutorials. Like, so the things you learn in the, you know, I'm going to take four hours and go through a tutorial. I could, I can do those. And like, you know, I'm sure that there are some gaps in my knowledge, but I basically get Ember but I am not to the place where when I'm building my own app and going in my own directions that I don't like I hit things that like I'll be, you know, chugging along and then hit a wall for like four hours. Like, and like, I have no idea what the yeah. hell to do or what's wrong. And, uh, man, that is, uh, uh, if anyone's wondering why people don't sort of jump in and learn to code, uh, Pick a brand new framework in a language that have, is not have, you.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think if you're like learning to code, it's almost like sailing out of a harbor. It's like, and but not a, a nicely defined one. It's like you're stuck on the rocks for a good long time, and you don't know why you're not going forward, and you're moving your oars backwards <laughs> and forwards. And you're, you're, it's because the tide's not in, but nobody told you about tides. You've been busy reading the manual for your boat. <laughs> then, it's totally and then, true. And then and then you sort of go along. This is a problem of estimation of software developers nightmare and then you sort of like you you suddenly you find yourself moving you're a bit surprised you're not really sure why and then all of a sudden like you hit a tree because it's overhanging or something and you sort of tick tack backwards and forwards until you get into open water and then you have long swaths of productivity Uh, you know and I think think
0: there are categories of things I think and sailing is probably one of them hiking is one of them parenthood is probably another that sound great in advance and have great memories associated with him, but like aren't great in the moment always. Like camping, <laughs> I You're definitely talking about feel...
1: parenting, aren't you? Yeah, well,
0: <laughs> I think that uh, I think that camping is the number one example of that for me. So, like, I love the idea of going backpacking, love it, and I love the the memories of backpacking, like from this year, but like the actual backpacking, I mean the camping part of backpacking. Man, not super fun. Uh but like y- yet I'll do it again and I love the idea of it. And I think I think yeah, ban Parenthood's not all that far off that idea.
1: There's tough times in Parenthood, but it's like you look back and there's a bigger picture, you're like, it's it's really awesome. But it's like, yeah, it's these are these are similar the similar threads through that. I think with the interesting thing where we are also with with uh development is a kind of demographic issue that there's a lot of uh new developers in Rails. Uh, who are you know companies sort of classify as junior, and that they're looking for more senior people because in some way they would like to have enough senior people to help manage the junior people in a sense. And what does junior and senior mean anyway? I think you know if I look at like a development career, it's kind of like you know I get into a language and the first few months I'm struggling trying to get productive and I'm bumping my head. You know I'm waving my arms around in the air. I'm hit, hitting my head on trees. I'll pick an analogy, and then. There's a that three month phase, and then I start getting into a phase where I'm like really starting to make headway. But then I just do I'm I'm not seeing the bigger picture problems, right? And I haven't fallen off the log to know where you should and shouldn't apply this technology. You know that kind of level.
0: Well, back to the NBA analogy, I think that that the junior senior sort of moniker is one dimension of a few that are important. So it's sort of like in the NBA, a veteran player may not be good. Or they may be good, but they are veterans. Like they do understand how to like not get yourself in trouble on the road and how to take care of your body. Like there's some things they're going to know, um, but they still could be a crappy shooter. And I think the same goes for programmers. That you know, there's there's there some things that experience buys you, but it doesn't necessarily buy being a good programmer. It just means nah, that yeah. you're you, you sort of have been around enough to know
1: some things yeah and i think it's an it depends thing and i think the the sort of that experience can gain you some kind of like how have you define it maybe some kind of professionalism that you've seen things go wrong and you can avoid doing those things whereas somebody who's more junior is just naively applying that tool that they've discovered to everything that they can see and it doesn't make sense you know uh But yeah, it's, you know, then there's the kind of ability experience kind of questions.
0: I like using that word naive because there's a difference between being not naive and being smart. They're not the same things.
1: Yes, correct. (laughs) That's a good segmentation.
0: Yeah. All right. So we, uh, we're planning, I think if, if you're up for it still to have, you know, maybe a monthly chat about, about things related to the career side of programming. Um, so we, uh, I'm happy that we sort of meandered around a little bit today because uh this will be the first of of uh many chats. Why don't you uh why don't you plug what you're up to here so people know uh know uh, how to take advantage of your services.
1: Yeah, so um you know there's Ruby now, which is one of the oldest uh jobs boards uh uh in, in Ruby and Rails space. I think has, you know, an audience of quite senior people as people, you know, regularly posting to that. Um, I'm improving that and moving that forward. Also, I connect developers with companies and I'm happy to talk to people that are looking to try and explore, uh, you know, what they could be doing. So if you reach out to me, steve at rubynow.com, that's a great way to get in touch with me. Uh, you know, and on the other side, if you're a company and you're struggling and you've had problems you know, you know, in, and that uh, it makes sense for you to uh, do that, obviously, uh, doesn't for all companies by a long stretch, reach out to me and I'm happy to chat. And I'm always happy to talk to people. It makes a lot of sense for me, obviously. And uh, I'm happy to sort of share, you know, th- experiences and thoughts and help, uh, you know, explore everybody's individual kind of uh, needs. And also, uh, I'm looking to, there's, there's a blog element on the site there. The site needs a lot of refreshing. That's part of what I'm doing uh, in the background, my programming hat on. Uh, but hopefully I can, you know, get more. If you subscribe there, I can send you out also sort of updates of uh, tech, careers-related information, which I think is kind of unique and is going to be focused around the Ruby space. So just sign up there, and uh, my goal will be to get you information that you actually care about.
0: Did you say... Uh had to connect with you on Twitter. I don't think you did.
1: Yeah. Twitter, uh, SDR PhD. That's, uh, that's me. And, uh, just, just, uh, feel free to com- contact me there as well.
0: All right. Well, Steve, thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on and sharing, <clears throat> uh, your perspective on recruiting. I think, one thing that I like about these sorts of conversations is it is it humanizes the sort of whole idea instead of being a stupid Twitter joke. It-
1: yeah, it's like I think there's I think there's what I would say is is there's a problem. It's not totally solved by technology, and it, it's down to like are people getting what they want out of their career and and I think there's a lot of interesting things that can be done there, and I think it's important. I think it shouldn't be boiled down to a bad Twitter joke and then nobody and then ignored. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited to talk more about it uh, as people want. You know, any questions people have? So it's great to know, and we could talk about those as well.
0: All right. If someone wants to connect with me on Twitter. I'm barely known. Thanks.